Welcome to The Dog Show, a podcast for dog mums and dads who like to spoil their pups and care for their well-being. I'm your host, Will Blunt, and every week I interview global experts about dog health, nutrition, behaviour, trends, and much more. Let's sink our teeth into this week's episode. This episode of The Dog Show features Anna Podolsky. Anna is the founder and CEO of Leica Pet Food, an Australian startup disrupting the pet food industry. Leica offers tailored, direct-to-consumer meals prepared with human-grade ingredients. Before starting Leica, Anna was a management consultant at Bain & Company for around five years. She worked in the US, Australia and Chile. In the interview, we discussed the benefits of a fresh, lightly cooked diet for dogs, which ingredients should go into freshly cooked dog food, and how you can get started with Leica. Anna, welcome to the dog show today. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Will. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to have you in to talk all things dog food. I discovered Lycra not too long ago, actually, and I've started to use it myself with with my dog, Frankie, and she's absolutely loving it. So I'm really excited to hear more about how this all started and everything. But Lycra is the name of your dog as well. So can you tell me a bit about Lycra? Yes, Lycra is my dog. Um, It's been a very confusing few years because you talk about Lycra and then her ears prick up and we're like, no, the other Lycra. She is a Border Collie cross. Um, I got her when she was six weeks old she's turning 12 this month okay um so she's yeah been my uh, best friend for over a decade now um yeah she's an awesome dog super smart um like sometimes a bit too smart for her own good um and really calm um so you can kind of bring her in any situation to the cafe or out on road trips and and she's just really adaptable to sort of any situation that's not, was that deliberate did you train her to be calm i guess as a younger dog I, I i guess not on purpose but it kind of turned out that way when she was a puppy i would take her everywhere she would you know even sometimes go to uni with me and just was exposed to a lot of different situations so i think that really helped her just become yeah really chill and adaptable yeah i think that's like socialization 101 is yeah yeah a lot of exposure early on definitely didn't know the name back then (laughs) (laughs) so at what point did you start to think about you know the diet that you were feeding like her and change that up yeah look it was sort of um a multi-month journey i suppose probably when she was around four or five years old it started yeah i guess when i got her like most pet owners i didn't really think about the food that much. Like I sort of went into the store, was buying her bags of the, you know, premium food um, and didn't really look that much into it. And then through her early, like first few years, she was having these issues. But again, I kind of thought it was all normal. So like she used to fart all the time, like, you know, multiple times a day, really stinky. Um, And I (laughs) just thought, you know, that's just what dogs do. Um, She was really itchy to the point where she'd be scratching all the time. She has even now scars on her face from just like that constant scratching and she'd shed a lot. So she, yeah, like had bald patches on all her elbows and and sort of joint areas from all the shedding. And I think what really got me was when she was doing an annual vet checkup um, and the vet said she's had, you know, bad teeth, dental disease, well, soon we'll have to pull them out. And I was like, what? It was just such a shocking moment. And I was thinking, you know, 
my dentist, if I had bad teeth, they kind of asked me to brush better or like, you know, am I eating sugar in my diet? Um, whereas for, uh, for like, I was sort of, you know, yeah, it's fine. We'll just take them out. And so that, that sounds pretty sad for a dog to lose their teeth. Yeah. Yeah. And um, apparently about 80% of dogs have dental disease. So it is really, really common. So yeah, I sort of started researching and, and in parallel we're traveling. So she's been living in five different countries with me, had to kind of read ingredients and, and labels in different languages and translate them. And through that, just paying closer attention, I realized I didn't really know what was going in her food. Mm. Um, so I started cooking for her. I started in 2015. And yeah, her health like improved within weeks. It was pretty incredible. I mean, back then it definitely wasn't balanced or anything like that. But even then, um, yeah, her itching stopped, her shedding became much less. Mm. Even friends were sort of commenting on how much more energy she had and yeah, how much more vibrant she looked. So we didn't go back ever since. Must be an amazing feeling, I guess, when you think that that's just how your dog's meant to be, but then have this huge like transformation, right? Exactly. And I think so many pet owners are in that same boat. You don't really question it until you sort of, you know, start, you know, someone, you read something or someone mentions it and then you start digging in and you're like, yeah, of course, this is not normal. But unless you really think about it, it's sort of, yeah, just the status quo. Do you think it was food-related allergies perhaps that were causing all the itching and stuff or did you, did you ever get to the bottom of that or not really? Oh, well, I mean, potentially. The thing is she doesn't have any allergies now. She can eat any sort of protein and she's completely right. fine now. Um, usually if it's a, um allergy, it is generally something you can't go back to or at least not for a long while. Um, yeah. So we think it could be more like inflammatory-related uh, responses based on, on the kibble she was eating. Okay, interesting. It must have been hard to while you were traveling to keep some stability with diet and well, just general routine for her. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's kind of what led me to look into the food so much because I was sort of being yeah really particular, having to explore new brands and that sort of mm. thing. And yeah, ultimately, what led me to start cooking for her. Okay, yeah, I act, we we cook for our dog. It was yeah. out of a it was out of like necessity yeah. initially. So we were trying all the different kibbles and. I guess with kibble, it's like most vets kind of say, yeah, get this kibble when you first get a puppy, right? That's the first advice they give. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, okay, which one? And then you think you think kibble in general is easy, right? Because it's there, it's available. You get a big bag, it lasts forever. But our dog had all of the itching and, and like inflammation and stuff that you're talking about, yeah. but also, um, you know, stomach insensitivities as well, like vomiting and diarrhea and everything like that. We just couldn't you know, overcome it with all the different, we tried all these different dog foods until we started cooking at home. It, it didn't solve any yeah. of those issues. Yeah. So how did you go from cooking like as food to, you know, starting starting the business and doing it for other people? Yeah. I mean, I've always wanted to start my own business. I knew um, pretty early on, I just love the idea of creating something from nothing and, and sort of, yeah, working on something you truly care about. But I guess, prior to Laika, I never really found something that I cared that much about to want to put everything else aside and, and do that full time. So what kind of led me on the journey is um, living in the States, living in San Francisco, um, 
yeah, the entrepreneurial uh, vibe and, and everything going on in that city, um, as well as being exposed to the US pet market and sort of all the trends um, going on there. I just found it to be actually, there were much healthier options in the States, um, and which always surprised me as an Australian, because, uh, you know, in general, Australians are typically, you know, on average healthier or, you know, there's healthier options in human food here, mm. whereas it was kind of the opposite with pet food. So yeah, I did a bit of research and and kind of business case analysis and figured out, you know, yes, this this doesn't exist in Australia and it totally makes sense for it to exist. One of the first things I did was also find a co-founder. Um, so I wanted to work with someone who was an expert in dogs and, and pet nutrition in general. Um, so that's how I connected with Dr. Matthew Muir. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's an integrative vet, um, runs all natural vet care in Sydney um, and has been recommending and talking about natural feeding with his clients for 10 plus years. Okay. Uh, so together we, um, yeah, we kind of dived into it. And um, 2018 was when we launched, so year four now. Okay. It's interesting. Um, some people that I've spoken to that work in the natural food space or the home-cooked meal space, mm. like the the unregulation, is that a word? <laughs> I'm not sure it is. But the lack of regulation in the dog food industry yeah. or, the do- or the pet industry in general is some people are quite concerned with that, right? Yeah, definitely. In terms of what's going into the food. Definitely. So, for example, we use human-grade ingredients. Basically what that means is any type of food that goes through the human supply chain and ends up either in the supermarket or in restaurants, that they all have to, like, all the steps in the supply chain have to pass a certain safety standard. Um, everything from, um, you know, the the farm all the way through to being on the plate. Whereas with pet food, exactly right, well, it's, it's, there's no regulation. Um, it's a self-regulated industry in Australia. And what that means is there's um, very little to no control of the safety and quality of, of what goes in the actual food. Well, probably those big companies probably more about profit and cutting costs, right? Which who knows where that that kind of draw the line. Yeah. And look, it just goes to show how cheap some dog food or pet food in general is. I mean, you go to the supermarket, the the cheapest stuff is sort of a dollar or two per kilo and it has meat in it, but meat costs significantly more than that. So you kind of wonder what's going into Mm -hmm. it, you know. Interesting, you said human grade. On your website, I noticed there was a few clips of your staff eating the food out of the, yeah. <laughs> off the spoon. Yeah, so they, you 100% believe that it's yeah. possible to eat. Yeah, definitely. Whenever we produce, what does it what does it taste like? So just, I'm not game to taste it out of the. You, you definitely should. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it just tastes like meat and veg. Mm. Um, okay, it's quite bland because. Of, you know, we don't add spices or like, yeah. you know, salt and pepper and those sort yeah. of things that we're used to. Um, but it tastes completely fine. Um, yeah, like uh, we have people, we do taste tests. So whenever we create new recipes, we have like a taste panel and, and give feedback on it. And literally people take the rest of the food afterwards and put like soy sauce and, <laughs> and like eat the rest for lunch. <laughs> Fair enough, might as well use it. Yeah. <laughs> so can you help me understand the differences between all the different types of foods? Like I know there's, um, and you've got a really cool little widget on your website which mm-hmm. explains it. Mm-hmm. So like is a lightly cooked fresh meal, whereas then you've got raw ingredients as well and that all that goes all the way down to kibble and canned food as well. Yeah. And freeze-dried. 
Yes. Yeah. So there's a lot to take in there. But yeah. yeah. Do your best. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, it's sort of a spectrum, and we like to look at it from no processing all the way through to highly processed. Okay. Um, so I guess yeah, kibbles on that highly processed end. Um, we talked about the ingredients being um, lower quality generally in kibble. The other thing regarding ingredients is the actual composition. So in order to create a biscuit-like shape, generally 50 to 60% of the ingredients must be a carbohydrate in order to yeah make that texture. So yeah, that in that sort of food, you're getting a lot of carbohydrates, generally much lower fat and protein. With kibble, the processing is also quite extensive and at um, very high temperatures. What I never knew prior to jumping into this industry is that there's generally no kind of fresh product that goes into kibble. It's not like there's meat. It's actually a meat meal, um, which is this highly like rendered and processed powder that's formed from cooking meat at really high temperatures. So it's essentially a bunch of dry powders that get mixed together, added with water, and then cooked extremely high temperatures. At that temperature, a lot of the natural nutrients are destroyed in the food. Um, So that's why you see a lot of synthetic vitamins and minerals added on top. Mm. And of course, what you get from that is really high shelf life product, which was great in the 1960s when that extrusion a method was invented to produce kibble because it was all about, you know, these selling through retailers and extensive supply chains. Um, whereas now it's sort of like, yeah, that product is really solving for shelf life above nutrition. Mm. Yeah, I guess all the way on the other end, you have raw, which is mm. quite a popular way of feeding. Um, it definitely works well for some dogs, but unfortunately there's no one size fits all diet. So, you know, some dogs with autoimmune conditions, um, things like cancer, or even households that have people with autoimmune conditions or or kids, mm-hmm. it can be a bit sort of risky in terms of the p- potential bacteria and pathogen exposure. So where we are as lightly cooked food, we're sort of just one step kind of this way on the scale and essentially by cooking our food lightly as you would at home, sort of on your stovetop, it is warm enough to cook the food and therefore destroy any harmful pathogens. But at the same time, it's not hot enough to destroy all the valuable nutrients in the food. So it sort of retains that whole food minimally processed quality. Interesting. Yeah. I have a resident vet on the show, John Morgan, and we spoke about diet not too long ago in an episode. And he was talking about, I asked him about raw food because I'm intrigued by it. I've never done it, but I know it's quite a trending thing at the moment. Mm -hmm. And he spoke as well about the contamination risk of raw food Mm -hmm. as well. I mean, if you're it's very hard to know how long raw food will last in comparison to to other types of food as well. Yeah. I mean, definitely some dogs do well on it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely not for all dogs out there. Mm. So what are the benefits of the lightly cooked diet then? You've insinuated a few, but I'm sure there's a, a list you can reel off. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I mean, I guess that's probably one of the most rewarding things about running the business is just hearing the feedback we get from customers. Yeah. Um, it's it's like truly amazing. And yeah, I mean, very similar to things to things to what my dog Laka went through. Mm. Um, so for example, a lot of dogs become happier at mealtime, just like more excited to eat the food in the first place. We hear about dogs having softer and shinier coats, reduced shedding, less itching, better digestion. We often hear that the poo becomes smaller and less stinky. 
which is a great win (laughs) for the owners. (laughs) And then, yeah, like, I mean, a bunch of other different things. So more energy. Um, We've heard dogs being able to walk and um, for better and for longer periods, reducing their medication all the way through to even last week, we found out about a a boxer who's um, used to have head tremors and they uh, reduced on our food. Um, So it's, yeah, it's pretty incredible. Imagine as well, like obviously there's a cost for getting a service like yours, but then if you're potentially solving a lot of these issues that you have that might cause you to go to the vet or or have ongoing, you know, medication and things like that, it could be, you know, a huge cost savings really. Yeah. And look at, I mean, it's setting up your your pet and your dog for success and for mm. Long, healthy life. In, in terms of price, I always, you know, like to get people to think as well. Why? How is other dog food so cheap? Because based on the ingredients that we're using and how we're um, cooking it, there's just there's no way to be able to get it to that price. So yeah, just goes to show kind of the quality of of ingredients um, that are used in you know in commercial pet food. Mm. And those, I mean, a lot of those things you're talking about, the itching, the swelling things that I've associated with allergies in the past, but you're saying that's not necessarily the case, but you'd be, I mean, we probably wouldn't be surprised. So many people have those issues. Yes. Um, someone that I've worked in this space for a number of years now and built a community of French bulldog owners originally and now dog owners of all types. And so many people reach out with the similar issues, yep. the itching, the swelling, the losing fur, all that kind of stuff, which is horrible. You don't want your dog to be having those issues. Yeah, so. yeah, it's definitely, it's like become the norm almost, whereas, yeah. you know, that is not at all normal. That is not a healthy dog to be experiencing that. Yeah, and, and I guess the options in that path, you go to the vet and maybe you get medication or you go through this long process of trying to determine what the allergies are, whereas maybe it's just a diet change could really revolutionise what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. And it it can be quite hard to pinpoint, um, you know, sometimes there is an allergy or intolerance at play. Generally, um, about 80 to 85% of dogs with skin itchiness or skin issues, Mm. there is an underlying intolerance. So it's a matter of kind of balancing, like, you know, a lot of the time a move to fresh food diet will help, but it's a matter of balancing which protein you start with. Um, yep. So potentially there is that kind of parallel approach where you yep. make the switch, but maybe one protein or, um, you know, trying a novel protein and seeing how that goes and slowly adding other ones back into the mix. Yeah. So kind of that elimination diet process a little bit. Yeah. 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 So usually we recommend um, if dogs are having high itch, on our food to start with just turkey, um, which is quite a novel protein. Not many dogs have had turkey in their diets before. And then once, like if they're going well on that, just to slowly add in an, an, a recipe every few weeks and just monitoring for their um, symptoms. And if the skin itch comes back, it means that the, um, you know, that relevant protein is the one causing the intolerance. Yeah. Um, but generally, definitely in the long term, having a variety of ingredients is best. So you want to try and build in that kind of repertoire of different proteins and, and veggies and so forth. That's good leading actually. So what what ingredients should go in a home-cooked meal? So for example, let's say I was just going to cook the meal myself to try and make it for my dog. 
Yeah. What, what are the ingredients that should go in there? Yeah. Look, so it's it's quite a complex topic. Um, it's really, if you're cooking at home, it's really important to get the balancing right. Mm. Um, the reason for that is that if your dog's going to be eating this food every single meal for, you know, months or years, you can risk getting a nutritional deficiency. So say that food is lacking of calcium and they don't get calcium anywhere else in their diet. It can be quite dangerous in the long term. I guess as humans, we're a bit different because we eat a variety of foods. We kind of tend to get our nutrients across our meals. Although, I, you know, you still hear of people having nutritional deficiencies. Um, so I definitely recommend working with an integrative or holistic vet if you're wanting to, you know, get a really great balanced diet to prepare at home. Yeah. Um, but in general, what that diet should include is um, a variety of proteins, um, not only the muscle meat, but also the organ meat, just being really careful with liver because liver is quite high in, in lots of vitamins, particularly vitamin A. So you never want to go above 5% liver. Okay. Um, <laughs> 5% liver. <laughs> yeah. um, veggies are great as well. Um, so you know, ingredients we use are like broccoli, cauliflower, carrot, kale, spinach different oils as well. So fish oil being a great one, you need to be careful if your dog has allergies to fish, but a lot of the time dogs that are allergic to fish aren't necessarily allergic to fish oil. We use different superfood powders as well. So things like um, beetroot powder, spirulina, hemp seeds, and you want to ensure that they're getting that calcium and phosphorus supply. So whether that be bones, eggshells, um, okay. a calcium phosphate powder, so that's the calcium aspect, which you said can be deficient exactly. after a while, yeah. Yeah, um, and in particular with large breed puppies, um, mm. they're the ones that, or any puppy in particular, you want to be really careful with not only their calcium intake, but the calcium and phosphorus balance to ensure that's adequate for as they grow and, and their bones are formed. And what about like the carbohydrate aspect? I know you use quinoa in some of your recipes. Yeah, we and- do quinoa, butternut squash. Um, a lot of veggies have uh pretty high carbohydrate in um, level in them as well. Um, so generally our carbohydrates come from those sort of ingredients. If anyone's interested, they should check out your ingredients page on the yeah, website. There's a huge list of ingredients a, with you explaining exactly what everyone is and what benefit it does and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's cool. a great place to start. We, um, yeah, we do a very evidence-based approach. So we like to check, um, you know, the science behind each ingredient before we choose to put it into our recipe um, and we also are really mindful on the sustainability and, you know, Australian-made mm. kind of local aspect. Uh, so we try and source the majority of our ingredients from, you know, right, right here. I think the biggest thing I'm taking from what you've said so far is, like, just be careful. Like, just, if you dive into just making food yourself, you may be missing out on things that are really important for your dog's development and long-term health. So speak to a vet if that's what if the path you're going to take. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so how do people get started with Vika? What's the process look like? Yep, so um, with Vika, jump on our website, uh, click Build a Box. Mm-hmm. What we do is we ask a short uh, profile questionnaire. We get to know your dog, um, what breed they are, what weight they are, etc., to understand um, the recipes that we would recommend for them as well as the serving size. So us pouches come in a custom serving, uh, which means one pouch is enough to last you a day. Yeah, we recommend if you just want to give it a small go, our starter box, which comes with sort of a smaller range of meals. And then, yeah, we we definitely are there to help out with onboarding, transitioning questions. Um, you get a cool little welcome pack in your first box, which helps with that transition process mm. as well. 
Yeah, one thing I'm trying it out at the moment. One thing I've noticed is, well, the first thing was when it came, it was well packaged, but they come in these little, not that the people on audio will be able to see this, but these little packages. <laughs> well, I got the friend of grandma because that's that was right for my dog. It was suited to my dog. Yeah. Um, they're all frozen. And then so I put them in the freezer, but then like I took one out the night before to be able to use the next day, put it in the fridge, and by the morning it had thawed out. It was perfectly ready to go, yeah. um, which was really good and helpful because that was an easy process. And then obviously the emails were really helpful as well that get like in terms of transitioning from other foods that I didn't even think about. I didn't think that was a big deal, but you really helped out with that. So. Yeah, some people <laughs> get the box and they get really excited and yeah, want to yeah. just like you know switch <laughs> over straight away. But it's really important to remember that your dog's tummy is, if it's used to digesting a different type of food, yeah, you definitely want to transition nice and slow just so yeah. their gut bacteria microbiome get used to this, yeah, new new food and and yeah, that way you avoid any sort of diarrhea or, or upset bellies. Yeah, which you don't <laughs> want to be cleaning up exactly. or dealing with. Um, so what would you recommend if, you know, as a first recipe out of the ones, you've got a few different recipes, beef, lamb, turkey, chicken, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, if, if someone was a bit worried about the, the sensitivities and stuff like that. Yeah. Look, assuming your dog doesn't have any um, health concerns, um, we always recommend all of them. Um, yeah. The more variety, the better. Yeah. Um, oh, so you can do a, a varied diet, can you? Yeah, okay. yeah, definitely. Um, all four is is the way to go if there's okay. if they don't have any issues. Um, if for seniors, we recommend um, being careful with our lamb recipe. Um, lamb in general is quite a rich protein, so sometimes it can just be too much for seniors or uh, dogs with delicate tummies. Um, and then, yeah, if your dog has an intolerance, it's best to, of course, avoid that protein. Um, and starting off with a turkey is usually a really great uh, choice if um, you suspect that there's some sort of allergy or intolerance at play. Do you think you'll branch out into more novel proteins at some point? Yeah, look, we're um, we're always developing new recipes. We are going to be releasing one more this year, and okay. and uh, keeping it under wraps. So. Yeah, but yeah, if anyone has any like requests or suggestions, please. Um, I was going to suggest kangaroo because I know yeah. that we use kangaroo um, at home. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, obviously, it's just Australia based. It's popular, but yeah, we get a lot of kangaroo requests. Um, one thing about the novel proteins is they're really good for that initial transitioning if you've got allergies and things like that. Yeah. From what I understand, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, and it's something that, yeah, you don't want your dog to be on forever. It's best to yeah. use a sort of, um, you know, a short-term period um, to help identify any specific allergies and to help kind of restore their, their gut and digestion before, again, looking to expand to a more variety base of proteins. Yeah, I mean, I feel like anyone's dog that gets on Lycra and gets all four recipes is having an absolute party. Like <laughs> most dogs are getting like the same kibble every day, but if they're getting like those ingredients, that's pretty cool. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> well, Anna, thanks so much for coming on the dog show today. I've learned a whole lot myself, which I'm going to go back and talk to my wife about. We need to kind of fix up our diet. Um, not, my, not our diet, my dog's diet. <laughs> but I'm sure lots of people out there have learned a lot too, and hopefully they'll check out Lycra. Cool. Thanks, Will. Thanks for having me. No worries.